Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Living Open podcast with Gina Badger. Gina uses they, she pronouns. They are a clinical energetic herbalist. They offer care through their private practice, long spell, and collaborative projects such as wet coast mutual aid kits. Gina is a queer non-binary femme of mixed Western European ancestry, born in Treaty 6 territory, and currently living on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tisley Watuth nations, also known as Vancouver, Canada. In this episode, we talk about Gina's journey with plants, which is so fun and cool. Um, We talk about building an embodied relationship with plants, personal healing-oriented plant communication, looking to the plants as teachers, orienting toward plant relationship, ways to give plants attention, and what relationship with plants looks like for them in the winter. Something I've been thinking about a lot as... We've been in winter here in Philadelphia, where I live, but also as there have been a lot of strange warm days and some of the plants are starting to come up and then it will be freezing cold again. And yeah, it's been a strange winter, so I've been thinking about that plant relationship as well. Um, Gina is really lovely and gentle and open, and I really enjoyed having this conversation with them all about plants, so I hope you enjoy it as well. Um, I want to call out one of my favorite things that Gina said, and it's, each of us has a job, which is really to be honest with ourselves and our loved ones and everyone we interact with about what matters to us, what we love, what nourishes us, what we're willing to fight for. So I'm going to leave you with that and get into um, two quick things, which is just an invitation for you to subscribe to Joy Notes, my Substack, um, for two or three or four times a month writings on aliveness and creativity and healing um in february a few things came out telling the story that wants to be told on scrapping thirty-three thousand words of my novel and starting fresh i really enjoyed writing that one um the best books i read in 2022 with an invitation to join us actually tomorrow morning if you're listening to this today for a free subscribers only creative co-working session Um, and there is another post coming out as well on writing and process and perfectionism and comparison Um, so yeah check that out joynotes.substack.com and Gina also has a few footnotes that they sent to add that correspond with some things they shared in the episodes. You can find that in the description as well. Okay, everyone, enjoy and take care. Like you mentioned, I like to start the show by hearing about yeah, personal journey and stories. So 
I would love to hear anything you feel like sharing about your journey with healing, with plants, um, anything like that, and how it's brought you to this moment in your life and the work that you do. Thanks, Erin. Um, yeah, even though I knew you were going to ask this question, I literally did not prepare anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's best in the moment. Like, I always feel like people will know what, what <laughs> and like you tell your story differently in different moments. And I think that that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I also think that's cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I've, feel like I'm a person who has come to my life work in a slow and backwards way, um, which I feel like there's probably many reasons why you could say that that is <laughs> uh, what, you know, one of them I think is that um, I'm like a I'm a I'm a bit of a weirdo and we don't exactly live in a culture that is super good at like helping weirdos to shine. So even though I would say I grew up in a family that was pretty like weirdo friendly, um uh it just it took me some time to figure out how to be honest with myself about who I am and what I like and what I don't like. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and what, what even just like makes me excited and what makes me joyful. Um, and some other <clears throat> like tools or answers that I have around why that is that I, I feel helpful is like, um, I have the sun, I have my son in my 12th house, which, um, you know, I'm not an astrologer, but the way that I understand that is that the 12th house is, is kind of like a, it's kind of like a hidden place. It's kind of like a place that is very informed by the subconscious, by dream space, by spirituality, maybe even like yeah, collective spirituality, um, ancestral stuff. And so um, anything that's in the 12th house might take some time to get to, some time to figure out. And my understanding of what your sun sign is, that it's it's kind of like the core of you. Um, it's not necessarily going to be clearly expressed or clearly available at all times in your life. And I think that is especially true for, for people with 12th house sons. So I think about it that way. And I also think about it because uh, I'm a highly sensitive person, which is something that I have only recently started to identify with. Um, and yeah, when you're sensitive, you kind of take things slow. You think about everything deeply. Um, and that's like a total blessing and a curse. Um, but I think as you can see, even by my way of answering this question, like I take a long time to get somewhere sometimes. <laughs> and so, um, I'm, I'm, a a clinical energetic herbalist. That's what I do, you know, as close to a hundred percent of my work time as possible. Um, <clears throat> 
And it's, and I'm turning 40 this year and it's taken me like a long ass time to get, get to this place, even though I think like looking at my childhood and, um, especially through my time in art school in my twenties, um, I've definitely always been a plant person. Um, I was a little like forest elf as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think because of, because, um, mainstream white supremacist culture in what we call North America is like very logic based, um, through my schooling, I kind of lost touch with that. Um, and I always had some connection to it through, through my family, through my grandparents, um, through stuff like family camping trips, but I definitely like lost connection, um, with, uh, like, um, a, a deliberate and like embodied and immersive engagement with like plants as beings that we have really important relationships with as humans. Yeah. But then I think I never fully lost connection. So it started kind of creeping back in, in more explicit ways. Um, And that happened in part through um, my own chronic health stuff that started to show up um, in my late teens and early 20s. Um, For me, that was chronic vaginal yeast infections, which, you know, was hard because chronic infections are awful. Um, But it was also hard because sexual health is stigmatized and... um, like the anatomy, the anatomy of sexual health is stigmatized. And, um, it took me a long time to find the care that I needed, but when I did find the care that I needed, it was through herbal medicine, um, which I had been introduced to through my parents, um, as a kid. And so, um, when I found myself in Montreal and like, dealing with chronic infections and just not really knowing, um, not really knowing what would work, having tried like the allopathic, um, pathway and like not really getting what I needed there. Um, I ended up seeing an herbalist and that really, because the herbalist I saw happened to be a person who really liked DIY and she was a student herself at the time. Um, she taught me how to make my own tinctures. Uh, that was a really important catalyst. Um, and then kind of around that same time, um, I was embedded in this kind of like micro art scene in Montreal that, um, was just like really obsessed with like urban geography, um, and mapping. This was like 2003. So some of you, this might ring some bells. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and yeah, the corner of that, that I ended up in was like getting really interested in weeds, um, and the histories of weeds. 
and weedy plants and kind of deconstructing even the idea of a weed as like an troublesome unwanted plant finding that there were a lot of really rich metaphors in there um and so yeah learning learning from weeds about the medicine that plants do like in the landscape and also um the medicine that plants have to offer to us as humans um yeah and i th- those two things combined i think really just like slowly slowly gained momentum over many years until I finally um hit a wall working in the art world and decided that I was ready to um kind of switch my focus a little bit from making artwork with and about plants and plant medicine to mm-hmm. to really digging into the craft of offering care uh, with plant medicine as a clinician. How has that changed your relationship with the plants? Mm. Um, I think it's just, I think it's just like deepened and broadened it. Like, I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like that seed of relationship and of seeing plants as multidimensional, cultural, historical beings um, that like, you know, have their own beingness on their own terms, but as humans, we know them and can't separate them from our own ideas of about history and culture and biology. Um, I think that that seed was always there from when I first started to dig into plant, Mm. plant stuff to working with plants and knowing plants. Um, But through my training as an herbalist, which kind of like started out through a smattering of workshops and conferences and self-study over the course of maybe a decade or something. But then I really um, formalized it and switched to full-time study of herbs in 2015 Mm -hmm. um, at the Blue Otter School of Herbal Medicine, which um, at the time had this incredible um, four-month full-time program that was very immersive um, in Northern California um, in the high desert, um, just south of the Oregon border and near Mount Shasta, for those who know that geography. Um, it's Karuk territory, among other indigenous nations. Um, and we are the cohort of students who was doing the full-time program would all literally move to that place. It's like almost inconceivable now when <laughs> everything is on the internet now. The wild <laughs> that was how they ran their school. Um, and a huge part of that program was experiential learning um, in particular this very specific way of doing plant meditations um, that Karen 
and Sarah taught us, I don't know if I said their full names yet, Karen Sanders and Sarah Holmes, who um, who run that school together. Um, they, yeah, they, they teach this form of plant meditation, which is very much about building embodied relationship with the plants. That was an integral piece of the full-time program. And basically it involved each of the students having a mystery herb, which was a tincture that we didn't know what it was. And our assignment was to um, take it every day, at least once every day, um, and then do a plant meditation, which um, in this case really just means like getting quiet and paying attention to what shows up. Um, And this was like a deeply challenging, very infuriating learning process that like almost broke me because... Uh, I didn't have a meditation practice at the time and I didn't really know um, how to feel my body. (laughs) Uh, I mean, to be honest, it's something I still struggle with. It's, it's not something that I certainly was taught um, to like value and cultivate. Um, And yeah, so uh, it was very frustrating and very like morale challenging to just, um, I don't know, like maybe the first time in my life that I really had to ask myself to keep doing something that really, really, really didn't come naturally to me and um, really challenged my perfectionism um, and my desire to like be good and like do it right. Um, Cause I just, I mean, I was being good and doing it right, but that involved just like really painstaking, slow learning process. And so I've, my, yeah, my, my inner critic was pretty loud um, during that experience. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so that I think really, um, it changed how I, it changed my, it changed the tools that I have available to me to be in relationship with plants. Um, and specifically to be able to communicate with them, um, which is something that I, I was already doing a bit before the program because um, I think like a lot of plant people, um, the plants just kind of came for me and started talking to me. They had things to tell me. Um, yeah, but then kind of figuring out how to move from that happening sort of spontaneously to creating a practice around inviting that form of communication on purpose. Yeah. I'm wondering if like years in, I don't know how many years, but years into being an herbalist, are you still like, is that still part of your practice? Are you still like building more ways or more connection to the plants in this embodied way or meditating with them and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I, well, so with all my clients and this is something that I also do with my own formula, 
when I'm working with a a formula for any reason over a regular or over a period of time, uh, at least once a week when I'm working with it, I I try to take just one to three drops of the tincture um, and then and then sit with it uh, quietly for you know five to ten minutes um, to notice how my body's reacting um, to share with the plants in the formula what my intention is for, you know, where I'm at in my healing process. Um, uh, to ask the plants if they have anything that they want me to know that would be helpful. Um, yeah. So that's sort of like personal healing oriented plant communication. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sometimes I will, I'll just be like looking for um, kind of looking to the plants more as teachers. So sometimes it'll happen because um, I'm figuring out a client's formula and I'll notice some part of the Materia Medica for that plant that was given by Karen that I'm like, I don't really get what Karen meant there. Um, and this is, uh, this is, a te- this is something that I've landed on as a method because of Karen, because often um, we're, we're still in touch as she is with many of her students. Um, and her answer often, if I come to her with, with like, can you, can you break this down for me? Like, what did you mean when you said this? Mm-hmm. Um, she'll often say, why don't you ask the plant? <laughs> <laughs> because that's really the foundation of what um, what she want, what she wanted to teach us is that this it's, it is fundamentally about relationship. If there's something that we need to know, that's something that we can figure out directly through our relationships with the medicine. Um, so yeah, sometimes I'll do it that for that reason. Um, or if I get a new medicine that I haven't worked with before, um, before I would put that in it, in a client's formula, I would want to spend some time and plant meditation is always a big part of that and familiarizing myself with it. Yeah. Well, before we started recording, you were talking about plant medicine as medicine of relationship. And I think as you're talking, I'm thinking about how this relationship building, I think applies to so many, um, things that we can use in our practices, like plants are alive, um, but also in like working with tarot or with stones or with other things that we can. I think in the beginning of my like experience with tarot, I was like, wow, there's so many decks. They're so gorgeous. Like everyone wants to have like a thousand decks or whatever. I never got that wild into it, but I did have a lot more than I do now. And I'm like, I have like three decks and I use one of them, you know, because it is for me about the relationship I have with the cards. And I think I'm hearing some of that in the plant medicine as um relationship too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um yeah. Um for whatever reason, the place I feel like going with that is, um, 
I feel like a conversation that I've had a lot with people who aren't familiar with plant medicine and particularly maybe like people who are a little more in like the skeptical side of things, which is totally fine. We don't need to like, it's good to question things. (laughs) Um, Is like this question of how do we figure out what the medicinal properties of plants are like which plants are safe to use as medicine and which plants are poisonous. And I think there's like a, there's like a answer that I often encounter that's kind of limited by like a very tragic form of logic, which is like, well, it must've just been trial and error. Like people must've just tried and sometimes they got really sick and like maybe sometimes they even died. And just over time, we just figured it out. Um, I think that is totally bullshit. (laughs) I think that comes from this place of being so tragically disconnected from the world around us that it's like impossible to imagine that, um, this, that we figured out the humans figured out how to work with plant medicines through communication and through relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. just the way like bears do which are, you know, bears are renowned for being herbalists, for taking cert- for eating certain medicines when they need that medicine. Um, and I think, yeah, humans are, humans are just the same. And we have the relationship with plants that we do because we have the capacity to perceive so much more um and to engage in so many such a richer way with the world around us than what we do now as like technological contemporary humans who are very focused on language and <clears throat> we have these big beautiful brains that are so capable um and it's just really easy to over rely on them you know it's the same way like i'm learning to run again right now for the third time and like my quads are really overdeveloped from many years of cycling and and if I give my legs a job my quads are like let me do it I got this no problem and as a result my hamstrings like barely know how to turn on like I can't can't figure out the cue to like get my hamstrings to participate I feel like yeah we really do that with our brains (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that feels true (laughs) I think I spent a lot of years just like walking by a tree on the street and being like oh tree beautiful and not really seeing it and when you stop and look you see like so many nuances of like smell and different shades and different shapes and shadow and light and like yeah, I think returning to my writing and poetry practice helped me see more of the world around me and something I want to see and love to see is nature. And I live in a city, but in a neighborhood that does have a lot of trees and people have small yards with lots of flowers in the spring and summer. Um, but I think it's it's true. We're using our big, silly brains all the time. <laughs> and uh yeah, I think I realized that I wasn't even really seeing anything that I was looking at. And I was like, oh, that's not, that's not how I want to experience the world. Yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. And what's so cool is that the moment that any one of us has this thought and like over and over again, um, you know, the, the world is right there for us. We're, we are all, like I said, in the beginning of this conversation, I got disconnected and, and that's like totally not true. None of us is ever disconnected. Um, and one of the things that I, um, I like to draw attention to in the grounding practice that I do at the very beginning of my sessions with clients is that like, literally every time you breathe, you are engaging in reciprocal relationship with plants. We can't, you know, it's not a relationship that we're ever outside of. Um, And so the moment we remember, the moment we orient to that relationship, uh, plants are like there, they're just waiting. They love it when we engage with them. I feel like I, in my own personal healing journey and also in my work with my clients, I really see that when we orient to our healing through intention, um, which for some people might look like prayer, doesn't have to, um, when we bring that kind of like quality of presence to the work, it works better. And there's probably a lot of ways that you could explain that. But the way that I explain and understand it is that like plants want to be in relationship with us. They love the attention um, and they love to, to they respond very generously to that attention. Um, And the, the attention that we give them can take so many forms from just like acknowledgement and curiosity but all the way up to um, to tending to relationships of care. Yeah, that's making me wonder. I'm like, I'm not sure exactly how to express this question, but I'm thinking about winter um, and wondering what relationship with plants looks like for you in the winter. Hmm. Yeah, that's such a cool question. Um, I currently live, um, on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, um, which is also colonially called Vancouver, Canada. Um, and that's like, I live on the ocean in the Pacific Northwest. And so winter here is particular. It's like, there is a winter for sure. Um, There's even sometimes snow, Um, but things are, things are perennial here that are not perennial um, anywhere else. in in this place we call Canada, Um, there's a lot of greenery Mm. everywhere. Um, So it like deciduous trees lose their leaves, but there's always like mosses and ferns (laughs) Um, and just a lot. There's a, you know, it's a massive verdant rainforest that's dominated by um, like cedar and dug fir. And so there's just like 
dripping, mulching, rustling, <laughs> um, live greenery, like all year here, um, which is pretty incredible. I grew up um, in the prairies where there's deep, deep cold winter. Um, so yeah, I think that, um, how I relate to plants in winter is still influenced by being in the Northern hemisphere when, even though things are evergreen here, um, there's kind of like a stillness. There's like a, you know, growth slows or pauses, um, and there's like a drinking in, like there's just like water, water everywhere. So there's like, um, the plants are all like just taking in <laughs> water. Um, actually, now that I'm saying that, I think I'm maybe doing like a pseudoscience thing. I don't know that plants are taking in I don't know how much water plants are taking in at this time of year. I would love to ask a biologist that question because it's <laughs> the way the plant bodies work is not something that I have studied in a technical. If any biologists uh, are listening, let us know. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's still like a bit of a, there's a bit of plant life does like a bit of a pause. And a bit of like, feels like metaphorically a bit of like resource gathering and resting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I definitely identify with those actions in the winter. Um, and then I'm also engaging with plants as their medicine, like in the form of a long simmered decoction that's root or berry based. Um those medicines are so important for kind of like building our systems back up after or during like taxing periods of activity. Um, so like elderberry is so, so central to my life in the winter. Um, astragalus is central to, to my life in the winter. Reishi. Oh yeah. Not just the berries and the roots, but the mushrooms, mm -hmm. um, you know, that are so good at kind of like fortifying our systems, our immune systems, our nervous systems, our gastrointestinal systems, like kind of building up the resource bank that we need to be resilient in the face of stress and illness. Um, so there's a lot of that going on in the winter. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, I'm just picturing my partner and I live in a communal house and one of our housemates is an herbalist and there's always big jars of things happening in the kitchen. <laughs> and she made um, fire cider for the winter and my partner and I have been drinking it whenever we're feeling sick or starting to get sick. And it's amazing how well it works. <laughs> for how yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also been interesting to, so I live in Philly in the U.S. on the East Coast, um, so sort of like opposite <laughs> from you in a way, um, and usually it's just really cold in the winter, um, 
And this year it's been strange. It's just started to get really cold like a week or two ago. Um, and so people have been talking about, and I've seen how um, like daffodils are starting to come up, but then it's like getting cold again. Um, and there's this big magnolia tree um, close by that my partner and I have a date under every spring when it's blooming and we lay under the tree and they went by it last week and they were like oh my god the tree is starting to starting to bloom like we might have like a February magnolia date um, and it's just really interesting to see how it feels um, yeah it's just unfamiliar like they're not normally doing this over here and seeing like sprouts of green happening I don't know if this is right, but it makes me feel worried that they're not going to bloom in the spring. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's contrasted by like it's getting really, really cold now. So yeah, I think mm -hmm. winter, I was just interested to ask you about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're living in this wild time where we really are seeing um seasonal weather patterns as well as like shorter term extreme weather just increased so much as a result of anthropogenic climate change and it's what it's wild and a huge challenge I think to just to um not get carried away with our brains um I think we're I think we're called to do a couple of different things you know we're called to like not ignore that and to do something about it. And I think the heart of not ignoring it um, is being present with that, including, you know, being present with the grief that comes up and knowing that it's, it's really hard on, on plants. They're not evolved for these different weather patterns and they might survive a year or two years or 10 years, but they might not survive that long um, with these changing conditions. It brings up a lot of grief, but I think um, there's also sometimes some joy, like, yeah, in a place like having a surprising warm day at a time you never normally would. And I think what we're asked to do is to be present with all of that. Mm -hmm. And then and then not be complacent. We all know that, you know, if if this is a problem that we caused, maybe we can't totally fix it or like we know that we can't totally fix it, but there is a lot collectively we can do. So I think that's always a part of relationship too is, is like that responsibility um, to do everything we can to take care. Yeah. And that makes me think of what you mentioned before about um, collective projects. I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to mention about that. Mm. Herbalist before we close. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's maybe it's what I have is like an amorphous call to action. <laughs> For my plant-loving kin, and particularly those of us who have decided to dedicate um, a large portion of our work to plant medicine 
and to getting the medicine to the people, which is that the model that most of us are working with is totally dysfunctional. We are really asking ourselves to, you know, grow and or harvest most of our medicine and then like make most of our own medicine um, and then also like run a business and do the marketing and, um, you know, do if not our own bookkeeping, but often honestly, lots of people are because we can't afford to pay somebody. Um, and then somehow on top of that, you know, trying to have a really effective clinical practice and also just like be regular humans who have time to do stuff um, with our families and our friends. And um, I just don't think that there's any way to solve that if we keep trying to do everything ourselves. And I think that I'm really, I'm like inspired and excited to see what we can do if we start thinking bigger as collectives about how can we network a bit more, not just in a knowledge sharing way, because of course, everybody's pretty good at that. There's amazing conferences, but in like literal, like long-term working relationship ways. Um, There are some cool projects that are, I think there's like a desire to do this. Like there's a little brick and mortar herb shop in um, Victoria, Canada on Vancouver Island called Green Muse Herbs. And I'm sure there's many people doing this kind of thing where the project is like, how do we uh, connect with local farmers and local medicine makers and make, make those medicines available to people who need to buy them? But lots, most of that attention is usually focused on like selling to the public. So what I want to see is more networking where we have growers and medicine makers linking up with people who are doing clinical practice and like putting together like meaningful supply chains (laughs) and like meaningful ways for, you know, let's say like multiple clinical herbalists to use the same apothecary to like collectively maintain an apothecary that we all use to pour our formulas for clients. I think that this is important, not just as like a baby business model nerd, um, but also just because like people need our medicine. Like I really believe this. Uh, We need to figure out ways to work more efficiently so that we can get our medicine out to more people in an affordable way. Um, and I just think, yeah, the the ways that we're trying to do that currently are, are limited um, that I've seen. If people have cool models that they want to like tell me about and, and be in dialogue about, like, please reach out. I'm, I'm dying to know. I want to collaborate. Um, I think that herbalism um, as like a formalized modality is often sidelined. And I think it's, it's, we're just, we're kind of, we're, we're stuck in our silo in part in, in kind of survival mode as practitioners, um, because we, um, aren't really finding ways to work together and support each other. 
Mm-hmm. So that is my vague call to action. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I love the vague call to action. <laughs> and also how beautiful and collaborative. And yeah, it, it just sounds lovely. Thank you for, for sharing it. Um, I want to ask you the last question that I always ask on this show, which is just what does living open mean to you? How does that mm. come up? Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. I think what that means for me right now is really um, this idea that it's each of us has a job, which is really to be honest with ourselves and with our loved ones and everybody we interact with about what matters to us, what we love, what nourishes us, um, what we're willing to fight for. Um, And there are like many, 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 many reasons why it's scary to be honest about those things, especially if our values run counter to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I think living open is finding the courage and finding the support to really be honest about that and to not hold back. I think like every moment, every interaction is a chance to be alive for what we love and it's easy to miss. Love that so much. (laughs) A chance to be alive for what we love. Thank you so much for, for sharing that and for everything and for being here um can you let people know where they can connect with you find you on the yeah thanks Erin thank you so much for yeah holding such a such a lovely connected space um across our computer screens (laughs) um yeah so I would love to connect with folks um In terms of social, I'm primarily active on Instagram. My handle is longspellherbs. You are welcome to connect with me there. I do check DMs. I miss them sometimes, but I mostly don't. Um, My website is longspellherbs.com. And you can email me directly if you want to at Gina, G-I-N-A, at longspellherbs.com. Yeah, I've got lots of exciting things happening this spring. Got like a big partnership coming down the works. I have a group clinical offering that I do at least once a year called Group Spells. Um, That's like the kind of translates the one-on-one clinical herbalism that I do um, into a group setting. So it's not a class. It's um, it's like a collective 
experience of clinical herbalism as a modality um, where we work on a specific health topic and you get a custom formula um, and registration is actually opening for that today in a few hours um, and we'll be uh, starting up at the beginning of March. Um, So yeah, if you want to connect, there's lots of opportunities to do so and I would love that. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.